Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name's Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. This morning is a little bit of a different morning. Normally, we would end kind of our liturgical year right around Thanksgiving or before Thanksgiving, and so we go straight into Advent. Uh, But we've kind of got this standalone Sunday where we are going to talk about Christ the King Sunday. Um, And this is a holiday that was instituted back in 1925. Um, This was done so by Pope Pius XI, And his idea was that the world was really kind of falling into secularism, and there was a lot of atheism that was on the rise, and a lot of focus was moving away from Christ and seeing Christ as the king. So this institution, or this being instituted, was to help bring focus back on Christ the king. And it was actually in the year 2000 that the United Methodist Church took it upon ourselves to bring it into our liturgical calendar so that we celebrate it. And so it's actually done so right before Advent. And I think this is really helpful because it really gives perspective on our anticipation of the birth of Christ. It really puts Christ on the throne and I think helps bring new meaning and fresh meaning to what it means to receive Christ as a baby, but ultimately as our King. But some background to kind of get you up to a little bit of a view into my weird mind. Um, My mind, and I won't give too much, so I don't want to scare you, but my mind works a lot with movie quotes. Um, I have like movie quotes that I watched when I was younger that kind of define like who I was. And I'll quote these movies, like even just like kind of in myself, you know, to myself, but I'd also quote them to other people trying to be funny. Um, Top Gun was one that I would quote a lot. Um, that was definitely a big one. Um, uh, mind you, don't judge my parents. I probably shouldn't have been quoting most of these movies or seeing these movies, but I did. Uh, Christmas Vacation was another one. Um, I probably shouldn't have been quoting, but I did. I know a lot of quotes from that. Forrest Gump was another one. Yeah, you know, some of these movies, okay. Um, but I remember very specifically a, a moment. We were at Olive Garden, home of the Everlasting Breadsticks. Um, or never-ending breadsticks. I guess everlasting is probably a <laughs> health concern. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so we're there, and I remember I was with my mom, my dad, and my brother as well. And I remember quoting, again, I shouldn't have been quoting these movies, but I remember quoting a line from Wayne's World. Y'all remember the movie Wayne's World? Yeah, Mike Myers, Dana Carvey. Um, and I, I quoted a line I shouldn't have quoted. Um, and everybody just kind of stared at me blankly. Uh, just the, the air was just sucked out of the room. And I thought, wow, that didn't have the response in the movie that it had in this moment. And thankfully, my brother at a later time, he said, Will, you don't know what that means, do you? I said, no. Uh, but it's funny in the movie, so I figured it'd be funny here. And then he told me what it meant, and I still didn't understand what it meant. But I, I got the point that I probably shouldn't quote movies and lines like that without fully knowing what it means. 
Uh, so I learned a tough lesson that day, which is usually how I learn those lessons. Um, and I mentioned that. You may have some movie quotes uh, that you think of. You may have moments uh, where you kind of maybe used a phrase not fully knowing what it meant. And I think that's kind of true with this phrase of Christ is king. What does it truly mean to say Christ is king? Do we fully know? Do we fully understand? Do we know the blood, the sweat, and the tears, um, the years and years of debating, um, gosh, even arguing over what this truly means when we use this phrase? So my hope is to give a little background of it, um, to give us more perspective, so that when we lead into this Advent season, we will have a fuller understanding of what exactly Christ the King means. With that, let's pray. God, we give you thanks for today. God, for the season of Thanksgiving that we just celebrated, the season of Advent that we are patiently awaiting, the birth of Christ. God, and on this day, as we look to Christ as our King, may we fully understand what that means and how we should respond to it. God, give me the words to proclaim your glory, and if necessary, move me aside again so that all your glory is proclaimed above all else. We give you thanks. It's in your name we pray. Amen. To help frame our conversation today, we're going to look in the book of Colossians, and this is going to give us the perspective and give us some grounding to work with. So let's turn our attention to the screens as we read through Colossians. This is the first chapter we're going to read starting at verse 15. It says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. Now, this letter, as most of Paul's letters, are written to address certain things that are happening, certain maybe moments or events that are taking place. This particular one is written around 60 AD. We know that Paul is in prison at this time. And as he's writing to this church in Colossae, there's some things that are happening in the church. First is there's a rising asceticism, asceticism, which is a very strict adherence to self-denial, even going as far as a self-harm, which part of the letter addresses. But what this specifically addresses is some issues of false teachings that are arising questioning the deity or the divinity of Christ. And this, what we just read, I think we could do a whole sermon series on this. 
This is all wrapped up nice and neat, this outline of all who Christ is, and it both acknowledges his full divinity, but also his humanity. And it's even written in the form, as you'll notice, a little bit like a hymn, and we think that it was sang in these churches, and so that the people of this time were familiar with it. Again, even to be saying similar to like how we say the Apostles' Creed. Again, just wrapping all of this up. But as we think about this phrase, Christ is King, let's first look at the implications. What are we implying when we use this phrase, Christ is King? First implication, I think, when we say this is Christ is King means that Jesus is God. 100%. Fully God, fully human, all the time. Not part of the time, not just a little bit, not just a sprinkle, but 100% of the time. That last verse that we read, verse 19, it says, For God in all his fullness, all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And as we mentioned, there were some false teachings that were coming up in the time. We're going to go to Divinity School just for a quick moment to look at some of them. The first one was one teaching called Arianism. Can you all say Arianism? Arianism. And what this was teaching was that God created Jesus, and so therefore Jesus was not co-eternal with God. Because for somebody or something to create something else, it had to exist before that. So there is this belief, well, if God created Jesus, then therefore Jesus did not exist in the beginning with God. But again, when we look at this text, it says he is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So that debunks that one. Then we also have another one that was called Nestorianism. Can you say Nestorianism? Nestorianism is this belief that Jesus, yes, being fully God, but also fully human, but not really able to kind of hold both of those at the same time. It was almost as if Jesus had to turn on one or turn off the other. You could only use one of them at the same time, like a car. He's got these two cars, but only able to use them at the same time. I remember, particularly in divinity school, thinking about this one, almost thinking like a bird's nest, where you've got two eggs, a divinity egg and a humanity egg. It helped me on my test. I know that's confusing, but that's just what I went with. Nestorianism, again, was this belief that Jesus was either fully God or fully human, not both at the same time. And then we have this last one, which I've talked about a couple weeks ago, is docetism. Can you all say docetism? Docetism. And that was that Jesus, being fully God, was not fully human, because God could not suffer. This was also a Gnostic belief, and Gnostics did not believe that anything in the physical world had anything good about them. So they believed that Jesus, being fully God, but he did not actually have a body. Believing that his body was almost an illusion or phantom or something else, but not really being fully human. But again, this text debunks that, saying that through Christ, him, God, reconciled everything to himself and made peace with everything by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And that was another verse that we didn't get to, but again, all wrapped up in this Christ hymn. So for us, when we use this phrase, Christ is king, 
we are acknowledging that Christ is fully God, fully human, all the time. But what's the second implication? What's something else that is implied when we say this? Well, I think the second implication is that when we say Christ is king, it means that Jesus has the ultimate authority. Jesus, co-eternal with God, reigning forever, will always reign. We even say that in our communion liturgy until Christ returns in final victory. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. It doesn't mean that only good things are going to happen. But it ultimately means that in the end, Christ will reign supreme. There's an old kind of folk tale that helps us understand this a little bit. And it's about a gentleman who had a white stallion, a beautiful white horse. It was coveted by everybody in the town, even the king. And the people would come to the man and say, you must sell this horse, for we know that you struggle to pay for food and to pay for things for your family. Just sell your horse, sell it to the king, and you'll be set for life. And he refused to do so, and so they said, you fool. And the man replied, it's too early to tell. Well, a harsh winter came. Sure enough, he wasn't able to provide for his family. It wasn't able to be taken care of. And they came to him and said, you fool, you could have made it out perfectly unscathed if you just sold it. And he said, it's too early to tell. Well, then a couple weeks later, winter broke. It was beautiful. It just so happened that the horse escaped, though, seeing the beauty outside. It ran away. Now this man was left with nothing. All the townspeople laughing at him, mocking him, calling him names, and of course saying, you fool, you could have sold this horse. Now you have nothing. To which he replied, it's too early to tell. Well, a couple weeks later, the horse returned, but it didn't do so alone. It didn't bring back one white stallion, but three other white stallions. So now this man had four white stallions. And everybody came and they said, oh, we are the fools. You are so smart. How did you know? And the man said, it's too early to tell. Well, then... A couple weeks later, his son was working with the horses. Horse bucked him off, broke both of his legs, was able, unable to walk, unable to work, really not much able to do anything at this point. And so everybody came and said, Ugh, you fool, you should have sold the horse. Now you have a son who can't help out with your family. You fool. And the man replied, it's too early to tell. Well, a couple months then go by, and it ends up that there's a war happening. And this town was promised to send all the help it could. So all the young, able-bodied men ended up getting sent off into this war. Well, it didn't go well. All the men who were part of this town were killed. And everybody who sent their children were devastated, lost, grieving their children. And so they went to the man they said, you were so smart, we are the fools. For your child, who had to stay back because his legs were broken, we have lost ours, and you are the only one who has yours. To which replied, it's too early to tell. This story helps us to understand that too often, I think we try to make too much sense of things. We try to reason the ins and outs of how these things happen, but ultimately, Christ 
is in control. Christ is the ultimate authority. And as we say again in our communion liturgy, Christ will come again in final victory. The book of Revelation in the 11th chapter, it says this, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was a loud voices shouting in heaven, The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Good things will happen to good people. Good things will happen to bad people and vice versa. But ultimately, Christ is reigning and will reign forever. So those are the implications. But what do we do about that? How do we apply that to our life? What are the applications of saying Christ is king? And the first thing I think is submission. When we say Christ is king, we say that he is the ruler and we submit our lives over. And by submitting to Christ, which requires both humility and trust, it signifies that Christ is the one in control and not us. It's not easy to do, handing control over to somebody else, is it? It takes humility. It takes us being the bigger person, maybe to say, I don't know best in this situation. Maybe when you're seeking medical advice, you go to a doctor and you say, I don't know about this. Can you help me? Can you give me guidance? When you're seeking legal counsel, you go to a lawyer and you say, I don't know this. I need your help. But it also takes trust. You trust that the doctor will help you make the right, best informed decision. You hope that the lawyer will give you the best advice to keep you out of legal trouble or whatever it may be. And when we humble ourselves, we not only submit over to Christ saying, you are the one in control, but we trust Christ because we know that Christ has our best interest at mind. It also takes dependence. We depend on Christ. And that entails actively seeking his guidance and purpose for our lives each and every day. It's not a one-time deal. There are moments where we have that justifying grace, where we step into that maybe, but I think it's a daily decision. Each and every day, we must say, Christ, yes, I follow you. We wake up each and every morning and decide to do so because of that love. We have the free will to walk away whenever we want to. We have the choice to say, this is not for me anymore. But the beauty in that as well is to say yes again and again and again. Similar to a marriage or a relationship. Yes, we come before God, our friends, our family, and say yes to one another at our wedding day, but it's a daily decision to re-acknowledge that oath, that promise we made. And when we depend on Christ, it is a daily decision in which, in which we must submit ourselves over to Christ. Jesus says this and reminds us that in Luke 9. He says this to a crowd. He says, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Y'all ever broken a bone before? Had to put your hand or a leg in a cast? I don't know how I never knowingly broke a bone. I probably have, but I was too stubborn to actually go to the doctor. But after you know, a couple weeks, you take the cast off, what happens? Can't really use it as well, right? Maybe even having to go to therapy to relearn how to use it because the muscles even don't work the same. They maybe even start decaying. 
I think for us, our faith is something in the same sense. When we have that daily dependence on Christ, we use it. It gets used. But when we put it on the back burner, we don't engage with it. It starts to decay and starts to atrophy and eventually maybe even ceases to exist. But when we're actively engaged with it, it's something that we know, we trust, because we've seen it work for us. We know that Christ is ultimately having our best interest at mind. And last, the last application, I think, is adoration. When we submit to Christ as our king, when we depend on him and his guidance, our natural and fitting response is adoration. This is above just liking Christ. This is above loving Christ. This is adoring Christ, accepting all of who he is, his full divinity, his full humanity, everything he wishes for our lives. St. Teresa of Avila says this, adoration is the supreme act of love, for it allows us to enter into the mystery of God's love. It's not us trying to control God's will for our lives. It's not us kind of having an a la carte view of what God wants for us. I'll take this, but uh, let's leave this out. It's fully accepting of all of who Christ is and Christ's will for our lives. C.S. Lewis actually gives us a pretty long quote, but I think helps us to understand the dangers of trying to pick and choose the parts of Christ that we think are best. He says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that's Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. When we submit to Christ, when we depend on Christ, when we adore Christ, it is all of Christ. Supreme, ruling forever and ever, His will in our lives in all moments, and everything in between. And I think the only resulting outcome of that is hope. We have hope that Christ will rule and reign forever. We have hope that Christ will have our best interests in mind. We have hope knowing that we are part of something bigger. God's bringing of heaven here on earth the part of the church, universal, local, everything, being the hands and feet, helping other people who need help, being part of something bigger than ourselves. It reminds me of the quote Chris shared last week that the church is the only organization that exists for people outside. When we are part of the church, when we put our hope in Christ, when we say that Christ is king. We truly know that we have a ruler who is dependable, who is trustworthy, and ultimately will reign, coming again in final victory. This is a ruler that we all can place our trust in. 
And this is a ruler that we patiently await the birth of so long ago, but each and every day as we come towards the season of Advent. That's the good news. And that's what gets us excited for this season. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you came so long ago, but yet today you continue to rule in our lives. That you help us, to guide us, to lead us. God, as you are the one who we can depend on, who we can look to, giving us the hope because you are the light of the world. God, we submit our lives over to you, all of who we are to all of who you are, opening ourselves up to the mystery of your love. Help us to know it in the fullest sense, especially as we look into this Advent season. It's all for your glory, and it's all in your name we pray. Amen.